the place of next. What is the place of next? Well, the place of next is where you've come from. And, and this vision that he showed us was there was a big corral off to the side coming to a very natural setting. It wasn't made by the hands of man. And this corral, instead of having livestock, it had all these provisions, and they were stacked up in pallets ready to be delivered, which I understand well from my background, both, both in the missionary field and as a builder, as a contractor, as a construction guy. And these were ready to be used for something. And then I realized as the Lord spoke to me and he showed me the name that was on the side of this natural all wood log building, and it said next. And the Lord said, I've already given all of you the provision for the place of next. And so there we went, and now we've arrived at the place of next. And it's like, what do we do at the place of next? And, and the Lord says, just follow me step by step. And so we've been digging deep, looking for the fresh word of God about the place of next to, to, to continue on. What we did learn also with that place of next is to have an expectation for God and not to go back. You see, so many times God is moving us and wanting to work with us and deal with us, and we are creatures of familiarity and comfort. We get us out of our familiar zone, and all of a sudden we're like, ah. you know, I've come out of several familiar zones in my quest for God. This isn't about me, but maybe it will help you for a moment, especially if you're watching our line and you walked in here today and said, Hmm, this is a little different for me. Well, let me tell you how different it's been for me. I was not really in the things of God. And for some reason, people kept trying to trap me in religion. My father, um, bless his heart, a very uh, good man, a military man, a colonel. I remember once him dragging me into his bathroom. When I say dragging, he wasn't, you know, he just got, he, he, he deceived me and got me in there for one reason. And the reason was, is he wanted to declare and, 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 and anoint me and baptized me as a Catholic to God. And so I was just a little kid, but it, it stuck and remembered with me. I was six years old, never been to a Catholic church. And all of a sudden my father baptized me as a Catholic. And uh, don't you know, several years later, I got recruited to a Catholic high school to play sports at Ursula, and I wasn't a Catholic. I got three and a half years of catechism and uh, got all A's, but I didn't. none of it stuck. I wasn't really there for that reason. And I went back into my Jewish roots and went to a Jewish temple. After I had served the world and was crazy and wild and nuts, and, and as, you know, we could use lots of adjectives for that, and then I went headstrong into two different Jewish temples, and, and, and the conservative one was the one that was really, really religious, and I pursued it, but they weren't religious enough for me because I was trying to please and find God. And so you can imagine the different adjustments I've had to make in my life. And then all of a sudden, I came into the awareness that Yeshua HaMashiach is Jesus Christ, and that there is a Messiah that's alive today. And so there I was, me and the Lord, and I, didn't, I wasn't fit for anybody. I got thrown out of the Jewish temple. I knew the Catholic faith wasn't getting it for me, even though I'd listened to it all. Um, I went to another person, and they weren't able to help me, so I just sort of got locked up in a house with the Lord for almost a year on the north side of Selma Avenue, 2301 Selma Avenue. And in that place, I just went into the Word of God from the beginning to the end. And I began to scrub the word and try to make sense out of all the religious teaching I had. And if that wasn't enough, that God was really shaking me up like a coconut, shake them all up and you shake them like a coconut. I had four years of philosophy and religion at Youngstown State University and got a political science major. And none of the religion was because I was seeking God. I was seeking a degree. So I had all of this stuff to deal with. But the word of God in that one year with the Lord, having communion and the Lord allowing me to, to see things and to hear things, uh, baptizing me in the bathtub, it was strange, but it was real. I came out filled with the Holy Spirit and I began to realize that the only one who could really teach me and lead me was God and the word of God and the Holy Spirit. And this faith grew up inside of me. And then I began to seek and to go to churches. 
And some places I would hear things that settled okay, and some places I would hear things that didn't settle okay. And I had to get through several years of working the law out of me, working, being critical out of myself, working, being judgmental, work the religion out of me. And you know how God does that? How about in your own life? He makes us desperate for him. And he helps us to beat down the flesh so that we appreciate his grace and his new birth spirit. So here we sit now, the 40th year in my life. It's a very, very interesting year, the 40th year in our life, and the seventh year of this church. Seventh year of this church, 40th year in my life as a born-again teacher of Jesus Christ. So we can put numbers on what we want, but it's sort of incredible to me. And the Lord says that we are moving into the place of next. Now, I know we're not arrogant. We don't believe it's only us. It's the body of Christ. We believe in the body of Christ. We support the body of Christ. The body of Christ has many members. I've often said that I appreciate all of them as long as they stick to the word of God. I'm good with it. If it's a faith message, bring it on. If it's a love message, bring it on. If it's a grace message, bring it on. If it's the supernatural, bring it on. Just stick to the word of God. That's all I ask for. And guess what? I'm enjoying this buffet of the word of God. Get it all. We try to bring it all here and send it all back out in the kingdom because we need the full body of what God has in the word of, of God. And guess what? Jesus is coming back. Come on. Jesus is coming back. And I tend to believe he's coming back pretty soon. And I tend to believe we've seen some things happening on that eternal prophetic clock just in the last two weeks. As that clock ticked one big ding in Israel with a peace plan that really doesn't conform completely with the word of God. It's not bright, it's not dark, it's got shades of gray. It's not quite biblical, but it is biblical. It's about recognizing Jerusalem as the eternal capital, but it says, let's cut out a little piece and call it East Jerusalem. And the Lord says, no, I'm jealous for Jerusalem. Now, I don't wanna, preach about that today, but I want you to understand that in the word of God, he's the God of Israel. And he says, those who bless her shall be blessed. You know, one of the reasons why this country and economy is humming like it is, I don't want to get into the politics. I don't want to get into the people. I don't want to get into the administrations. It's because this country recognized Jerusalem as the eternal capital of God two years ago, put its capital there. And not only that, says we stand with the people of Israel, those who bless her shall be blessed. It's the Abrahamic covenant, which we're going to get into. So you can look at all the different factors that come into it, but the factor that's most of all, it's the God of Israel keeping his covenant word. Why is that good news for you and me? Why? Because if God keeps his covenant with that, in spite of what happened to the Jewish people in Israel, can he keep his covenant with you? Can he keep all of his promises with us? Will he keep his promises with us that no matter what comes our way, he will help us overcome, that he will deliver us from every trouble? Every, God gives us his names. That's like going to uh, uh, a reading with a lawyer and a judge, a probate judge, and the will's been read, and all of a sudden your name comes up, and in the name it says, and I leave you this. Well, guess what? Jesus has put his name to his promises. He's the God who heals you. He's the God who delivers you. He's the God who says, I will give you everything that you need. He's the God who says, you're never the tail, but you're the head. He's the God who says, you're a son. You're a daughter. You're in the family of God. You're not a heathen. You can cry out, Abba, Father, and all the promises of God are yours because he's a covenant-keeping God. So we open our eyes and we celebrate the covenant of God, the New Testament covenant that has fulfilled all of the other covenants. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy him. I had a hard time with that coming out of the law because I tried to keep the laws. Now there's a debate. Is there 400 and some or 600 and some? It depends what midrash you read. I tried the 400 and the 600 and failed at it miserably. So when it says he came to fulfill the law, I said, no, not that again. 
And then I realized that what he did was he took all of these promises that were done through the law and he cashed them in for you and me at the throne of the Father. He fulfilled the laws. And now we have that law written in our hearts by the Holy Spirit because he made a covenant with us through Jeremiah. He said, I will turn your hearts. I will change your hearts. I will give you a new heart. And he told us through the prophets, through David, through the Psalms, I will put my spirit in you. Can you imagine David who would have glimpses of the Holy Spirit? Or the prophets like Elijah and Elisha, they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit, only Jesus was. Before he left and sent the Spirit for you and I, they were hungered, thirsting. David said, I, I pant, just like a deer at the river. I pant for the Spirit and the glory of God. I thirst for the things of God. And here we have the Holy Spirit of God inside of us, the Spirit of Christ and the Holy Father. We don't have to pant. We don't have to thirst. We just have to receive and then put it into work. So we are a very special people living in a very special time. We can't really appreciate the place of next unless we know who we are. And you've been born for a very special purpose in time. We're the ones called to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. When's he coming? I don't have a clue. But I know this. I want to do what I've been called to do. And I also know this, that nobody alive knows. And if they say they do, they're a fool. And God help them. So no fools in this house. We say, Lord, come quickly, but you come. Now, quickly to God is not quickly to us. But quickly to him is just in time. <laughs> and so we know he's coming. And we know that the whole world is beginning to shake and quake. You know, all you have to do after service is go through the chapel door at 1 o'clock and see the Chinese church worshiping and believing God. Pastor Jeff and, and Pastor Wei, they came to us a month ago. And he told me, he said, Frank, this plague in China is much worse than they're telling people. It's all over the place. Thousands died before they even admitted it. People are stuck in their homes. It's a plague in China. And now it's leaking out. And a man I know who does business there told me just a couple days ago, you know who he is, Prophet Mani Irfan, tremendous man of God who goes into the Iranian church underground, a guy who's willing to give his blood for Jesus Christ, who escaped there and hasn't forgotten his people the ancient people of Iran, even the place we understand where Abraham came out of, worshiping gods and moons. And he told me, he said, listen, it's, they're not telling you how bad it is. It's not a quarantine of 55 million. Now, how many of you have ever heard of 55 million people, Dr. Bing, being quarantined before? Has that ever happened on the earth before? 55 million people quarantined. Well, guess what? It's over a billion. Over a billion people in China are quarantined right now, and they're not allowed out of their homes except every two days if they're checked to go get supplies. And you might have seen a little bit of the news where they're going into homes and dragging people out. Some of them aren't even seen again. There's a plague in the earth. Now, I don't, I don't measure Christ coming again because of a plague in the earth, but I know what he said. When you see these things, look up, I'm coming soon. How many of you know that there was an earthquake in Haifa in Israel just a couple days ago? You say, we didn't, we didn't hear those things. How many of you know that, that when they say peace and peace, then comes destruction? How many of you know that the deal of the century peace plan was laid out last week? Man plans and God laughs. You see, I can't support it because it's not the deal of eternity. The deal of eternity, forgive me, trumps the deal of the century. You take it where you want it to go. So what I say to you is God is moving mightily and you are a very peculiar, special people. You've been born for just today. We keep doing the things God gives us. God bless all of you for taking the, the, the burden on your back, the plow and, 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 and harvesting and sowing and reaping. God bless you. And, and it's time for all of us to do what we can. But Jesus is coming, so we keep going until he does. Some of us will see him come, and some of us won't. And I'm going to repeat it again. Some of you will see him come, and some of us won't. He's coming. And he says, unless I cut those days short, there'd be none left. 
Good calling evil good. And evil calling good bad. The, the minds of humanism reaching up to heights that's the same as what happened in Babylon. The same as what happened with trying to build a tower unto God. People were trying to find their way unto the higher truths without recognizing the truth. And do you know, as I've said before, but you see, I'm being led by the Holy Spirit. I know I keep promising you I'm going to get into Genesis, but you know, I got to do what I got to do. Do you know that before every great move of God, there's always an infanticide? Moses, infanticide. Kill all the children, the Hebrews. Kill them all. Jesus, kill them all. Two years and younger. Get rid of them. Get the males. Destroy the seed. God's calling people back to Israel. Holocaust. Kill all the Jews, but especially the children. Don't let the children leave. Smash their skulls. The United States, the place that's supposed to be the, the, the throne that sends out the missions and the, and, and, and the money and the word of God to all four corners. That's one of the reasons God's had so much grace with us because of what has come out of this country over the last 200 years. To all four corners. How many of you have been in the mission field? How many of you? Amen. Thank you. We have people going to the mission field again. We're going we're gonna to pray with you about it. I cut my teeth in the mission field. I'd rather be there. God's blessed this place for it. So what happens? We get some stupid rules by some very intelligent people that come out and say it's okay to kill the babies. And then want to argue, what is life? Is life three months, one month, one year? And if we don't know, just yank them out of the room, out of the womb and smash their head before they can breathe. When we know that life is at the moment of conception, we know that every life is a breath of God. We know that the book of life has determined you and everyone who's ever born from before the beginning of time. We know that. And so does he. And you know what? We're this close to stopping that infanticide in this country. We're this close. This church, your pastor, we walk on the front line of that. You've had Alan Parker. He's coming back here. Elvita King, my sister, we lock arms. People use us for politics. We don't care about politics. Our first and foremost is giving God his glory here in this country and secondly, saving the unborn. That's our call. That's our passion. And that's yours too. So the enemy's upset. Who's the enemy? We all know who he is. He's Satan. He's been killing people from ever. Jesus told us who he was. He's a liar. He's a thief. He's a murderer. And what he tries to murder is the seed. The seed. Our seed, the seed of the word, the seed of children. But we're this close. Pray for March 2nd when that case from Louisiana goes before. You see, most people don't understand it, but it's unwrangling. And the prophetic word of the Lord that I shouted out on November 9th, 2016, he said, call forth my edicts. Tell my lower courts to begin the cases because by the time they get to the Supreme Court, I will change the heart of that court and they will rule according to save my children. It's coming. It's coming. Pray it. Support it. If we have any one cause besides and just beneath the gospel of Jesus Christ for saving souls, it's to save the unborn children that do not have a defender. They're defenseless. You know what I saw once? I even wrote it for a book and then I put it on hold, but I think I'm going to get it out. It's fiction, but it wasn't fiction. I heard the voice of the unborn child being aborted, crying out and screaming. I heard the voices, and then I heard them amplified. Ah, I don't even want to go there. It horrified me. God hears the voices. He also hears the voice of the mother who lost the child. And the Lord puts his arms around. And I know this, to be absent from here is to be present with the Lord. So there's a lot of babies that have gone on to heaven. From this country alone, over 60 million that we know about. And I know if I were to turn it loose to my, our pastor, Jeff Green, he would begin to tell you how racist abortion is and how it was determined. It's always been racist. Anti-Semitic killed the Jews. Anti-African-American 
Kill them. Kill the people of color. Stop them. Stop them. China, kill the children. It's always been the same. It's racist. We need to understand, we want to fight race, fight abortion. Because in that place, in those wombs, are people that God has blessed to do great things here on earth who are being cut short. Okay, I don't know why I went there, but I did. I'm going to try to give you a little bit. I got a little bit of time. I'm going to try to give you a little bit. Somebody pray for me. Help me out a little bit. Okay, we talked about the seed. Let it know enough to say that the seed is very important and that God has always, always, always looked to keep his seed. We understand that, that this word for seed that I shared with you is, a, is not in the plural, but it's in the singular. We understand from Hebrews that Jesus is the seed. We understand that the seed has come forth not only to give us life and birth, but is a covenant with us. We learned how, just in the beginning, Eliezer, the servant of Abraham, was sent out to, a, to Abraham's old country, Padamaran. Now, I have my dear friend, uh, Bishop Harry Jackson, and uh, when his wife passed away two years ago, I said, Harry, be patient, because when God sends you to the place of Padamaran, then you will find the next place. And Harry's arrived there, and he'll be uh, getting married in May. And, and I'm happy for that, and we'll be part of that with him. And you know he loves us, and we love him. He's, he's arrived at his place of Padamaran, but he waited upon the Lord to do it. Well, we find out it's very interesting that as uh, Abraham found himself getting old, and he just buried his wife, Sarah, the matriarch, the matriarch of the covenant of God. And he was in sorrow, and he was in mourning, and also was his son Isaac, the seed, <laughs> the seed, the promise of the covenant. Abraham really realized that, light, that death was inevitable. It hit him. I lost Sarah. I thought I would leave before her. How many have lost a loved one and wondered, why did they go before you went? How many? That it was premature. That's how Abraham was. He figured he would live, that she would outlive him, but here she was gone. And so now he's concerned, and he wants to continue, perpetuate the covenant. So he wants to go and find his son, someone. So we go to Genesis 24, verse 1, and we're not going to get through much, but you know what? Much isn't always the measure of what we want. It's the quality of what we want. And so... He says this to his servant, and Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Somebody say, in all things. How many of you know that you are the receivers of the eight blessings of the Abrahamic covenant? How many of you know that? Amen? How many of you don't care? Okay. How many of you are asleep? Just need, that's all right. I always say, if I can't excite you, go to sleep, have a good rest, we'll wake you up and send you back out. Get a little coffee on the way if we have some food left. How many of you know that the children in this church get fed breakfast? Thank you to those of you who labor in that. Thank you very much. They, they might come here hungry, but they don't leave here hungry. And we want to make it comfortable. There's so much happening in this church. It's pretty exciting, but I'm not going to do a sales pitch. Abraham was blessed in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, your hand under my thigh. Now, I shared with you that servant's name is Eliezer. That comes out of Genesis 15. It also comes out of the Midrash, the teachings of the rabbis. Eliezer was always positioned and put as a person that was understood to be a great administrator. Now, because of the way this is written, he was a servant and Abraham was the master, but he was numero uno. So he had all the authority of his of, of, of Father Abraham. He was more than a servant. He was the administrator of the ministry. He was the CEO of Abraham Incorporated. And Eliezer, he called him forth, and he was desperate, and he told him to put his hand under his thigh. I shared with you last week the oath of the thigh. It only happens twice. It happened here, and it happened again in Genesis 60. And what had happened both times was having to do with preserving families and an oath, a familial oath, one that goes up under the thigh. Why under the thigh? Because that's close to the loins. Why in the loins? Because it tells us the blessings 
of Abraham passed on to Levi through the loins and passed on to you and I through the Abrahamic covenant. And so that covenant, what he was doing was he was saying to Eliezer, I'm pulling you into the covenant. Eliezer was not a Hebrew. So he was outside the covenant, but yet he served as the CEO. So he was exposed to all this stuff. He saw it. He saw Father Abraham get blessed with every good blessing. He witnessed the supernatural power of God in his life. He saw the covenant that God made with it. He heard about the burning bush. He heard about Isaac. He heard about it all. He saw it. He lived it. But he told him, you want to be part of this covenant? Put your hand under my thigh. Well, that was a fearful thing for Eliezer. Because he wasn't walking in the same realm of faith. And that's my point today. Let's dig in a little deeper, please, with me. And and he says, Abraham says to Eliezer, verse 3, And I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you shall not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my own country, to my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. What's happening? He doesn't want the covenant to get perverted. He doesn't want it to get diluted. He knows that if his son Isaac begins to co-mingle with the heathen that have other gods, that it's only a short time until they fall back and away from the covenant. How many of us know it's very dangerous to begin to co-mingle and bless with the things outside the covenant of God? How many of us know that that little bit of leaven gets in and it begins to grow? How many of us know that the enemy of your soul has a snare and a plan to catch you? Well, I'm going to give you good news today. God made a covenant with Abraham, and that covenant was not only would he bless him and his seed, but he would give him and give him dominion over the gates of his enemies. I want you to understand, we're going to deal with it a little today and a lot next week. You have the authority to have the dominion over the gates of everything in your life. You have that authority. That's a promise of the Abrahamic covenant, and it's a promise from Jesus that I'll also give you the word for. What are the gates? The gates are the spiritual things that move in and out. There's a gate to heaven, a gate to hell. It's in the word. Maybe I'll have time, maybe I won't. You'll probably get it next week. There's gates of righteousness, Psalms tells us in 118. There's gates that have dominion on both a physical and a social way in our lives. And there's spiritual gates, gates that go to the second heaven, where you see all of the spiritual activity in the third heaven where is God himself. That's how they define it. You call it what you wish. I just want to make sure on my way I go right through that second heaven and get to the third. I want to get right to that throne room. But I do know that principalities and powers are real. I do know that there are powers and principalities that have been set over geographic areas and spheres of influence. I gave a very long teaching on the mysteries of the spheres of the kingdom. 25 weeks. And in that, we discussed and understood that there are spheres that we have dominions of and that other entities have dominions of. And there's a battle that goes on on who holds the gate. Let's consider Eli, the priest, and his two sons that were crooked and not walking in the ways of God. And you know what Eli's sin was? He ate what they brought him. He, he profited from their bribes and got fat. Real fat. They didn't say how fat, but really fat. He got so fat that when the ark of God was taken from uh, by the Philistines, and the word came back, and it says that we've been defeated, and the Philistines conquered the ark of God. Right end, your two sons were killed. They told him first the two sons were killed. He was still okay sitting with his fat self on the gate seat. That the minute they said the ark of God was taken, he fell over backwards. So fat that he broke his neck and died. God wiped out that priesthood. And guess who came up? He was already dedicated with Samuel. That's when God raised up Samuel and they had a true judge over Israel. And everything began to come back again. We understand that as Abraham was telling his servant with his, with his hand under, the, under his thigh, Don't commingle my son with the heathen. You are charged with making sure that the righteousness of this covenant is preserved. 
Because it wasn't just about Abraham and Isaac and then Jacob. It was about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jesus, and you and me. It was the covenant of God. And Abraham had the fear of the Lord, but he had a great faith. That's the kind of faith we want to pull on. But we can have a greater faith because what we say and do in the name of Jesus and declare happens. So we say this. Let's go on. But you shall go into my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son. And the servant said unto him, What happens if this woman will not be willing to follow me into this land? Should I then bring your son to her in the land that you came from? Well, let's stop a moment. Why was Eliezer asking a question about what if this doesn't happen? He just got done saying, Abraham the father who was blessed in all things. He understood that Isaac was being taken up to be sacrificed. He understood that God gave a lamb. He understood that God preserved Abraham and made him greater and wealthier and more powerful, feared than any other person in that entire region of the world. He saw it. He witnessed it. But yet, he asked Father Abraham and says, go get my son a wife from my old country, from Padamaran. And he says, what happens if she doesn't want to come? He didn't say, what happens if I don't find her? He had enough faith to believe she might be there. His concern was, these people aren't like you, Abraham. I don't know if they know God or don't know God. I don't know if they walk in the same faith. I don't even know if they like you. Well, where did he go? He went to a place called Nahor. You know why it was called Nahor? Because that was Abraham's father. And she was, he was married to Abraham's mother called Milcha. And they had uh, another brother. His name was Bethuel. Meant house of God. Very strange in place of Nahor. A brother named house of God. Which God is the question. And they had two children that we know about. It's the ones named. One was Rebecca, who became Isaac's wife after she agreed to come. The other one was Laban. Two very different people. We learn later from Laban, even though he recognized that Abraham was a great man, and even though he recognized that this servant was sent by the power of God, he later became the deceiver to the deceiver. <laughs> Served me seven years for your wife, but then he gave him the wrong wife. Serve me another seven, and I'll give you the right wife. Fourteen years of service to get the wife. My God, such love. I pursued my wife for three years. I got tired. Fourteen years. He went to Padamaran. I had to go to Washington, D.C. and drag her back. And I found her supernaturally of God. Lord led me. So, why Eliezer? Why was Eliezer questioning such? Because he wasn't at the level of faith where Abraham was. Abraham had to let him hitchhike his faith. That's why I say to you all the time, with great faith, let people hitchhike, but prepare them when they get to where they're at so that they could stay there and receive the blessings. It was E.W. Kenyon who wrote, hitchhike my faith. He said, there's a lot of people that hitchhike faith, but when they get to the place of next, in that place, you'll find out that they have a hard time staying because they really didn't have a ground in their heart. And so Abraham had to grind it into Eliezer's heart. And here's what he says. What happens if this woman doesn't come with me? Should I take him back to that land? And man, I could just see it. It doesn't say it here, but I could see old Abraham. I think they said he was 90-some years old. No, he was 110 years old at that time. I could see Abraham jumping out of his chair, coming out of that nomadic tent, coming out like a Bedouin with a sheep bone ready to smack him across his skull. And Abraham said unto him, stop, beware, do not bring my son back there. He didn't chide his words, did he? He just came right out. He threatened him, you're not bringing my son back there. Eliezer got the message loud and clear. If you don't swear to this oath, you're done. You're out of a job. You're not numero uno anymore. So now Eliezer's shaking and quaking. Oh my, I got to put my hand under his thigh. Under the thigh means that's a blood oath. That's a covenant oath. That means that 
I'm willing to die for this oath. But what if she doesn't want to come? I mean, you know how difficult, excuse me, ladies, a woman can be. What if she says, I don't even know what this guy looks like. I don't want to see him. He may smell. He's a sheep herder. I mean, I've heard stories about my uncle Abraham, and but what if I don't want to go? And Eliezer stuck in his reason. He asks, and then Abraham declares. <laughs> he doesn't just give a statement of faith. He reaches down deep and releases a declaration of truth, a covenant declaration. And he says this, the Lord God of heaven. He's calling upon the God that he saw while he was working in his father's idol factory back in the land that he came out of where they were making uh, idol, uh, moon-worshiping idols. And somehow, some way, looking into the moon, he saw or heard the Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house. Stop right there. You've just come from the place of from. Hello? You've just come from the place of from. And now you're in the place of next. And Abraham saying, I came from there. You're not taking my son back to where I came from. How many of you want better for your children? How many of you want better for those that, that, that how many want better for yourself? How many want better for everybody? Amen? Everybody. Sometimes, you know, some people, they need to get off the earth so it's better for everybody else. But how many of you want, <laughs> amen, I got a witness, right? So, hey, better, better. Abraham said, we're not going back. We're not going back to that. And he said, and I'm telling you, the Lord God of heaven who took me from there, from, from my father's house, and from the land of my kindred, the familiar place, and which spoke unto me and it swore unto me, saying, unto your seed, not seeds, unto your seed will I give this land. Now, here's the part I like. You should like this too. You know, we don't glorify angels a lot in this house. We thank God for them. We glorify Jesus Christ. God takes care of the angel business, not me, not you. You can call upon angels all you want. If he doesn't tell them to go or to come back, they aren't, they aren't moving because they'll know what's next. Out. He'll cast them down. He did. Angels fear God. If the Lord saith, they say. If God saith, if God doeth, if God wills, let the Lord determine what to do with angels. You don't even know which angel to call upon. You don't even know. You might call on the wrong angel. You might call on the angel of birth, and really what you need is the angel of prosperity. I don't know. You might call on the angel that helps you to sleep at night, and what you really need is the angel that watches over your car in a car accident. You don't know what you need. God knows what to send. But here's what he says, unto your seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife unto me from them. Wow. So, to the place of next, from the place of from, God has already sent his angel before you. I don't know who that angel is. I tend to think sometimes he needs to send a few angels for me because I mess up stuff pretty bad. I need angels that can fix a lot of things, not just one thing. And, you know, how about you? I guess I'm the only one, right? You all just doing great. But God bless you. God bless you. He said, I'll send his angel before you. Well, you know why that excites me? Because on the way to the place of next, we need to be strengthened. And the scriptures replete with angels that have been sent to strengthen people. Guess who was the one that was strengthened the most at the greatest time of need? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. We never got the name of those angels. We never got the name of them. I don't know if that was a high principality, a low principality. I really don't care. What I know is it was satisfied, my Lord. And if it satisfied him, then they can satisfy me. Now, I'm not looking to worship angels, but I want you to get excited that God has already sent and prepared a path ahead of you, and it's a light path. His word is a lamp unto your feet and a light to your path. So we go by the word of God, and we understand that in this sense that he was emboldening his servant. Now, 
What was he telling his servant? He was telling him, don't be afraid. The supernatural God that you have seen in my life has already gone before you. And the angel's already made a way. And this person's already waiting for you. But he said in verse 8, now listen to this. This is called safety net faith. Safety net faith. How many of you want safety net faith? Put your hands back down. You want the next level faith. You don't want to settle for, come on, Pastor Frank, did you trick me? No, you weren't paying attention. You don't want safety net faith. Look what happened. But Abraham says, already knowing that, his, that Eliezer is going to get the promise of the covenant, the new matriarch to replace his fallen wife, already knowing that it's coming from the same seed so that it won't be diluted, already knowing that whatever he has told you to do, he's already prepared it, and it's not going to be able to be perverted or contaminated. So Abraham has to negotiate with Eliezer with safety net faith, right? You know how many times I get safety net faith when I pray for people to be healed of bad diseases? But what if not? That's called safety net. And I said, there's no but what's with me when I pray. You all know my story of my dear friend Samuel Smodzda, healed of cancer. Just some months back, all the doctors didn't sound good. Not too many faith people were standing with him because they wanted safety net faith. They were afraid to put their name and the declaration of God out there and say, you're going to be healed in Jesus' name. I will not say but. You are healed in Jesus' name. How many of you say, you know what? I, I could use a healing today. Put your hand up. Put your hand up. Put, your, put it up high. You are healed today in Jesus' name. It's not me. It's the word of God. God made a covenant. He's called Jesus the healer. By his stripes you are healed. You can pick it any way you want out of the scriptures. He took every one of those diseases. He took your, and you say, but, but you know what? Why not? You know what? Quit asking why not and receive yes. Quit saying, well, I thought I was getting healed, but I didn't. You know what? Receive it now. Don't look back. Don't go back to Padamaram. Don't go to the place of where you came out of. Go to the place of next. Go to where your provision for your vision is already there. Go to the place where God says, now, now, now is your victory. And that's how we have to believe. We have to be fearless. You say, but pastor, that's not reasonable. Well, now you've got safety net faith. Now you're like Eliezer. But what, but, 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 but what, what if she doesn't want to come? So what does Abraham have to do? Well, he throws up his hands, you stupid guy. Oy vey, I've been with you all these years. What's wrong with you? And if the woman will not be willing to follow you, Eliezer, then you shall be clear from this my oath. But don't you dare bring my son back there. You see, Abraham already knew that God would provide the lamb. He already knew he didn't have to sacrifice Isaac. He already knew God didn't take you as far as he has to give up on you. Come on. God has not given up on you. Have you given up on God? Eliezer needed a safety net. So Abraham was trying to make sure that even if he fell into that net, he wasn't going to contaminate the, co the covenant of God. Sometimes we contaminate the promises of Jesus. Sometimes we do it with our own doubt, our own words. But what if not? How come? When? Why? So much. Nothing hurts more than a sick child. I know. Nothing hurts more. Day and night, you ask God. But I'll tell you something. I know my God. My God says, speak to that mountain and it shall be removed. That problem isn't going to be just cast into the sea. You know how that translates? He will root up that problem and he will drown it in the depths for it never to come back up again. That's what it means. That's what it means. And if the woman will not be willing to follow you, then you shall be cleared of this oath. And the servant then put his hand under the thigh of Father Abraham and swore to him concerning this matter. I'm going to stop right here.
because I can't go farther without going a lot farther. Let this be said. We have a covenant with God. You made an oath. According to the New Testament, we're better not to make one than to make it and not keep it. So let's just not make other oaths. But you know what your oath was? I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's all it took. And all the fulfillments of all the covenants and promises of God flowed into you and upon you. And you have legal authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth for everything that's in the covenant of Jesus Christ. We have an oath. And so we don't need a safety net. We don't need to know what if God doesn't. We just believe God is. You know, written right there, one of my favorite scriptures, my mother's favorite scripture, bless her heart. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. How many things? Father Abraham, blessed with all things. Does that mean something isn't in there? No. Does that mean that something was left out? No. Can you receive all things? Now let me say something to you. God isn't a vending machine God. We don't just put something in there and expect God owes it to us. But he's a God who keeps covenant. He's a covenant keeper. I thank God that he's a covenant keeper because if not, I wouldn't be able to be here in front of you today. I broke laws I didn't even know I broke. I backslid on the Lord after a couple years in there willfully because I thought I couldn't take it anymore because I was still trying to keep laws and I was finding so much hypocrisy in churches. I had that critical spirit. I didn't like what I saw and heard. I, everybody just wanted to go away. Remember one of the first songs? Go, go away, Lord Jesus, oh, come away. I say, well, who's going to stay? Only the Jews and the non-believers are going to be left. I said, I don't like that gospel. So what happens then? My people were cursed. I heard so much hypocrisy. So much fantasy. I saw too much. So I said, I'm done. You know what? I'm testing you. You do what you want to do. Kill me. Do whatever you want to do. I'm done. Didn't last too. My family rejected me. The temple said I was dead. I lost all my businesses. It wasn't a good time. The family went and got a restraining order on me, kept my only daughter from me at the time, and said that I wasn't capable of having her because I said God was talking to me. What if he told me to sacrifice my child? I had to stand in front of a judge and hear that. I said, where's this Jesus? What is it? What's... You know, when I found his love, when I came crying back to him and saying, I'm sorry. You know what he said to me? I heard it so clear. Welcome back in my arms, faithful son. And we began right where we left off. That's when I learned the love of God. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. His mercy endures forever. He's a wonderful God. I've got hope, and you have hope. Remember, we learned about the camel test. If you keep reading, it's the next scripture. Eliezer took the camels, 10 of them. He took them to the well. He wanted to see who the woman was that would come out. He didn't want to see if a woman would come. You see, that's the same as somebody saying, God is able to do all things, but will he do it for me? Will she come back with me? Or will she stay? There's a Hebrew word. I love it. It's called chesed. C-H-E-S-E-D. Chesed. Turn to your neighbor and say, chesed. Don't spit on him. Chesed. That's why nobody sits here, by the way, because I can't help it. Chesed. It's abundant grace. He was looking for the woman that had the abundant grace. It's very interesting when you read it in the Mishrad. They go real big about how she took this great big jug of water off of her shoulder and kneeled down and then held it out. Do you know why? Because of her humility. She didn't want the man and the stranger to get too close to her and spoil her for the man that God would have for her. And when she was all done and he drank from it, 
She could have poured it out and said, this stranger, can you imagine what Eliezer looked like after all those days on camels, charped lips, no showers, no baths, no clean clothes. He smelled, he looked bad, he was cracked. He had desert dust on him. How many of you have ever been out in the desert for a while, huh? You don't look too good. He drank from it. She could have poured it out. Instead, she went and poured it and fed the camels. Ten of them, the number that says fulfillment. She went back and got more for the camels herself. She was a princess. She was the princess of Nahor. Royalty. And Eliezer said, she's got chesed. She's got grace. She's not just a woman. She's the woman. You know why? Because Abraham had chesed. Abraham would go out of his way to bless people. He would find them and bring them in and bless them and treat them like they were his own strangers. He said, this is truly the blood of the blood of Father Abraham. You are the blood of the blood of Father Abraham, the seed through Jesus Christ. And his grace is more than sufficient for you. Final word. The other meaning of chesed is abundant grace. How do you define abundant? More than you need. More than you can use. What's God's capacity for you? Abundant. More than you need. More than you could use, my son. How much does he love you? Abundantly. How great is his mercy towards you? Abundant. How powerful is he? All powerful. Can he heal you? He has healed you. You notice? Has. Don't go back. Saying he will is cheating. It's a safety net. He has. We'll finish the story another time. Good news. Hmm. Laban and his mother and his father, when it was time to go, Eliezer said, we're leaving tomorrow. We're not waiting. I'm going to bring this promise back right now. God gave it. I'm going to run back to Abraham. She said, she'll go. I want to take her before she changes her mind. Because I swore an oath. He gave her bracelets and gold. Spoiled her mama. And Laban's eyes got this big. And so they said, let her stay with us 10 days before you take her to this strange, exotic land of wherever it is. You know what Rachel, Rebecca said? No, I'll leave with them tomorrow. The promise of God. Don't wait on the promise of God at the place of next. When you're in the place of next, it's time to receive. It's time to put it in action. Amen. All things are new. Old things have passed away. Paul says, I've not yet apprehended, but I'm reaching forward to apprehend. And I run for the prize that's ahead of me. I go onward, I go upward. And I'm going to get that prize at the place of next. And you should already be excited and expecting the next place of next. But whatever you do, don't send your promise backwards. Keep it right here under the thigh, in Jesus' name.